Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cattle Chat podcast. And with us this week, we have Ant Ansted. Hello. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. I'm uh, I'm uh, California time, so I've just woken. I still have pajamas on, a bit of bedhead, nice. and you're well into your afternoon, I assume. Yes. Yes. It's sort of like five p.m. here. This is the this is the sort of crossover window of when it's just about acceptable for to get you guys up and and me still awake. Yeah. It's become it's become familiar actually. That kind of US UK Zoom FaceTime yeah. calls. There's this little window we have, uh, so we're in it. <laughs> We're in it. Can you tell the audience a little bit about, those who haven't come across you before, a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Uh, yeah, of course. So uh, I am best known as a car builder. I do a lot of TV shows. So um, a lot of people in the UK would have seen me on one of my earlier shows, which was a Channel 4 series called For the Love of Cars. That was the first TV show I ever did way back in 2013. Um, and since that show, I've actually I've actually hosted 21 different TV shows. Wow. Um, I, I know I kind of crammed it in um, and not just car stuff. You know, I did some travel shows for the BBC, some engineering shows, a few live shows. Um, and I guess the biggest recent show was Wheeler Dealers. I was the mechanic that took over from Ed China. I partnered mm-hmm. with Mike Brewer when the show moved to America. Um, Wheeler Dealers has gone back to the UK now. Mike has gone back to the UK um, and I was uh, not ready to go back to the UK. So I've stayed here in America <laughs> uh, to do a couple of other car shows uh while uh, mike has uh, partnered up with a new mechanic called elvis so uh, so yeah i'm, I'm basically uh, a tv mechanic <laughs> which is kind of remarkable really because you know i'm a mechanic there's there's yeah. no uh, there's no messing around i love to spanner get greasy fix cars and the fact that people want to press record and watch it i find remarkable 
so I'm really lucky because I get to do something I really love and then I get to share that on TV. Yeah, that's very cool. What got you into, so have you been a sort of car person working on cars since you were like tiny? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I was like most kind of car kids. I was young. I was bitten by the bug and graduated through Lego and Meccano and scale electrics and building, um, you know, soap boxes and cars from cardboard and making go-kart throwing myself down hills. And I built my first road legal car, a scratch built car, uh, when I was 16. So before I had a driving license and then from that first car from 16, I was always building a car or restoring a car. There has never been a point in my life ever till now, well, even now where I didn't have a project on the go. When I was really young, 18 and a half, I joined the police, uh, which meant I was working shifts. And I found mm-hmm. that shift work was really good for a car builder because you have loads of time off. So um, in the months <laughs> doing earlies, lates and nights, I was restoring cars, selling them, banking some profit, getting the next one. And I just kept this uh, revolution of car projects going in the background. And then when I left the police in 2005, um, it was on the back of this kind of life affirming moment where I thought, what is it I really, really want to do? with my life. And I, I just realized I want to do something I really love and I love building cars. So it's at that point in 2005, mm. I, I became a full-time car builder and, uh, I, uh, I've never looked back. And like during that time, were you just, have you just been like endlessly experimenting with, okay, this is broken. I need to fix this. How do I fix this? Work it out. Or did you do some sort of like formal ish training or with other people and stuff like that? Yeah, I've never done any, I, I still don't hold any formal qualifications. Um, I was always one of those, have a go, learn as you do. So mm. you know, in the early years, I made tons of mistakes and you know, I've learned a lot from them. And it's interesting because because my police background, you, um, you recognize that uh, in, in the courts, 10,000 meaningful hours makes you an expert. So when right. you consider the amount of meaningful hours that I've applied over the last few decades... Uh, I feel like I've amassed the right amount of knowledge how to do what I do. And I'm so passionate about it as well that um, actually that's probably more important than a piece of paper from a college. Yeah, um, definitely. So, um, you know, I know some very overqualified average people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the key part of that, as you said, is like that intent, like wanting to learn and applying yourself in that time. Because you could do 10,000 hours and be no better than when you started. It yeah, would, but that also applies to hard, education. But, it applies yeah. to education as well, isn't it? You know, like I said, there, there's so many people that have a piece of paper that tells the world that they're overqualified, but they're unemployable hmm. because they don't come from a place of passion. And this is something I really, really love. Like, it gets me up in the morning. I love um, yeah. experimenting. I love building cars. And I, you know, I hope that comes across. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky because I'm basically this child car builder housed inside the body of a graying old man um that really really uh, loves what i do and for me that 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 document that says i'm entitled or qualified to do it means nothing you know yeah. some of the some of the best most successful people i know left school when they were 16 and then in this sort of this industry and those any sort of creative industry people say like oh like to me a photographer like oh should i go and study photography and i'm like well it doesn't really matter like you're only as good as your last project. And I feel like the similar sort of thing, building cars. Okay, your projects probably stand around for longer. But if you've done something exceptionally well, people look at that and go, I don't really need to know 
what what you've done prior to that because you could do this yeah and that's the point you know that's the whole conversation of growth are you measured as a photographer or an architect a, a doctor on yeah what happened 10 years ago potentially but you know i like to think you know we're operating you and i are operating in a creative space and the thing about creative space is it gives you creative freedom and that and part of that freedom is the ability to grow so mm. when you um when you grow within a creative space and you're willing to invest in your art your craft you're always going to grow in a positive way in which case a car i built 20 years ago is not going to be as good as a car i built last week because yeah. i've amassed all that uh, that knowledge and, and experience so you know, I'm I'm excited by the prospect, the fact that cars are just going to get better and better and better, in which case, as long as I'm still enjoying it and I'm still passionately invested in what I do, then, then yeah, I'm, I'm just going to start pushing it and pushing it. And, you know, I think Radford's a really good testament to that. The, the Radford project would have been impossible for me as, a, you know, that 16-year-old. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely, let's, we'll get to Radford in a little bit. So you're, you're building cars for, you know, starting to build cars for other people and whatnot. At what point in time did you go, maybe let's try and do this on TV? Um, it was strange. So in 20, 2005, I'd made the decision. I'd left the police and I just wanted to go and do what I loved, which was mm. being, building cars. Um, but it wasn't until 2012, I was actually approached to do a, um, a, a TV show by a production company. And I turned it down. I said no, uh, because I didn't like the show. I won't mention the show because that would be mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it was weird. Then a year later, the same uh, production member of staff, because it's a freelance industry, had been placed yeah. onto the new Channel 4 show for the love of cars. And he kind of contacted me and said, hey, remember me? I came and visited you a year ago and you said <laughs> no to that TV show. Well, we've got a slightly different show. It's with uh, uh, an actor, Philip Glenister. And um, we're looking for an on-screen mechanic. And I remembered seeing you and your name's come up a few times in the industry. Would you change your mind? Would you reconsider it? And can we come and see yeah. you? Um, and that was a year later when I said yes. So I was asked. To answer your question, mm. I was asked. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? This, this could be interesting. Was it very different from what you were doing before? Having to, like that process of having to adapt to then being, to being filmed? Because it's obviously what you see on camera is not a hundred percent what happens. I presume there's a lot of hours and whatnot as well. Uh, it depends on the show. Actually, you know, if you watch, I did a show, uh, 18 months ago called master mechanic. It's a 12 part series building a car from scratch. If you watch that, why really, I'm so proud of that show because it is genuinely authentic. It shows mm. you a, uh, a lineage of car building, including all the mistakes, the errors, the, um, yeah, I even had an operation. I detached my bicep. That was in the show. It was just really, really real. And the the, um, the public really engaged with that. Whilst there is a, a, a degree of editing in TV, Master Mechanic was pretty edit-free. I really liked that. And I think the public engaged with it really well because, you know, let's be honest, everybody nowadays knows how TV's made. They know there's a cameraman and a sound man yeah. and a lighting man and an editor and a producer and a director. Why, um, why not embrace that? And that's something else that Master Mechanic did really well. It broke that fourth wall. The cameraman helped me pick the chassis up and the, the nice. production crew were helping me you know, measuring and holding stuff. And, and you know, I even had the, the, the cameraman welding. You know, you talk about the experience that you achieve to be able to be a car builder. Mm. I like to think that there's, there's a level of experience I've achieved to be a host. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from the police. You know, if you're a, 
a police officer turning up to a, I don't know, a group of a dozen drunken people. You need to be able to present yourself. You have to command the room. And, and yeah. actually, that's part of it. And also, police gave me a really healthy sense of perspective. Mm. You know, I've faced <laughs> armed offenders. I was a tactical firearms officer. I've been involved in incidents that are genuinely life-threatening. I have two commendations yeah. for bravery or stupidity and um <laughs> is it really so bad that there's a, a guy there holding a camera no and that's why i love live tv a lot you know you kind of you, it's about that moment yeah and there's so many people that you know that you put a camera in front of them they change they change who they yeah. are they become you know they freeze you see i see it all the time with contributors when we work with you know people that haven't done tv yeah and i find it interesting because nothing changes there's no we're still asking you to say the same words, use the same yeah. vocabulary. And, and I think, um, yeah, I, I think those police years really helped me recognize that actually this isn't frightening. This isn't life-threatening present. Yeah. Do you think you, do you amp yourself up a little bit when you're recording? Like, do you go up like 10%, 20%? Yeah, there is. I, I think consciously there's always an on and off. So when you're presenting, um, but what I like to think, and I'm probably totally wrong about this, but I like to think <laughs> that, um, you know, I try and maintain a level of authenticity because, yeah. and sometimes I catch myself falling into the host trap mm. where um, it might be too much, but I work with really solid people that know me. And I, plus I only say yes to projects that I really love. Yeah. So um, I find that the, you know, the crew are like, that ain't you tone it down i'm like yeah <laughs> so the you know a couple of times i've caught myself out i uh yeah i'd like to think that um the projects i work on are just genuine and there's no acting yeah it, it's just it it's is just very me. i i find it very interesting having conversations like this with loads of different people because some people some other the audience whatever will watch the podcast with them on and go oh my god they're so different because they really? they have this like on-screen persona yeah yeah that's like an on-screen character and then you hear them talking they're like oh that's just so and so he just seems like a normal person and they might not like the on-screen persona but they like the person and like it's interesting seeing all those dynamics but i yeah. love having try living in Hollywood. conversation <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yeah i live in this uh, i live in this little belt on in california i live in laguna beach which is mm. uh, south of la I've been very lucky. In fact, I've just finished a celebrity show uh, with a, a, a list of, you know, a, a, an array of A-list actors. Yeah. And uh, I kind of approached that filming thinking, hmm, I've seen the movies, like Monday's episode was James yeah. Marsden. And James has done, you know, loads of movies. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's in X-Men and The Notebook. And uh, funny enough, he, he shot a show here in uh, Laguna Beach called Dead to Me, which I really enjoyed. And I'm thinking, I wonder if James, movie star, is James the human yeah. being. And oh my yeah, God, yeah, it was yeah. absolutely the same guy. And oh, he and I have become yeah. really good friends. He's a proper dude. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. <laughs> it's, not, it's not always the case. And ultimately, I think the closer you can get those two, it, I guess it depends what your job is, but like your sanity probably gets closer. Like if you can just live just, as you are. <laughs> Do you know what? I just think it's about being authentic. I'm a huge, huge fan of Anthony Bourdain, you know. Yeah. Uh, God rest him. And uh, there was a, um, you know, if I could liken myself to any 
other TV host, it would be Bourdain. And there's some intricacies in the way Bourdain approached his craft. Firstly, he never fell into the trap of being uh, the, the Hollywood, you know, there's no Botox. He embraced his gray hair, yeah. you know, wrinkles on his face were, were, were lines. And he really, he, he had an honesty with his words, you know, mm. like it or hate it. It was an honest interpretation. And I think what made him so special and stand out for me is that he was just unashamedly himself on and off screen. And yeah. yes, while he had all of his flaws and, you know, he had demons to fight, he, um, he embraced that and he shared that. Um, so, you know, I've been very, very open with my personal life, my struggles yeah. on screen. There's no, there's no hamming. There's no kind of give me those words. Let me say those fake words that you want me to say. Yeah. And um, I, I often think to myself, I have two Anthony Bourdain quotes that are stuck on my wall because I often say to myself, behave like Bourdain. I think it really does. And the audience and especially on social media and stuff like that. And I, I see the the way different people get treated by social media. And it's often when they become less authentic and they're less themselves that they start getting shit. And like with me doing like on a small level, me doing this podcast and posting on social media and whatever, I don't really get any flack because... And don't, I don't you know will now. Why? I will now. Yeah, come on. Have at it. But I think it's probably because I, I'm now just like, I say it, I say what I think. And if you don't like that, you don't like that. But I don't do something and then not say why I've done it or the disconnect. And you get less. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But it's interesting. There has been an obvious and I think a tangible cultural shift. We now live in a time where you know social media is so prevalent and access mm. to individuals, particularly those people with profile is so easy. And, um, you know, we're on the back of this, you know, huge global lockdown. So everybody's kind of angry at the moment. And there's loads of, um, you know, there's loads of, like I say, cultural shifts that have actually forced us as a society into this space. So ultimately, when you take away all the nonsense and the, the social media and the TV and all this kind of BS, it boils down to people just want something really, really real. It's interesting mm -hmm. that we we as a society engage when our heroes fall because it's yeah. kind of, it humanizes them. Oh, wow. They're just like us. Or there's a picture of, I don't know, famous person shopping or tripping yeah. over or having a car crash or whatever it is. Yeah. And that becomes engaging. So when you consider everybody's real and human, if you have somebody who's presenting, Oh, everything's perfect. Everything's amazing. Oh my God. I, you know, and you know who these people are. You kind of, you look at them and think, God, that's really not that's really inauthentic that's not they're not my people yeah 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 definitely so you've done you tons of shows lots and lots of tv and then at what point in time did this whole radford idea come together how did you get involved where does this come from yeah radford's cool man it's really really cool <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because i look at radford and you know i speak on behalf of uh, uh jensen mark roger mm. and, and actually all of the all of the radford team because we're quite a big team now and uh for, I, I i can tell you on behalf of everybody this is a life's work culminating at the right time you know a whole this is a career of a driver the career of a designer the career of a builder the career of a lawyer peaking at this moment 
Mm. And uh, it actually came about on the back of that show I discussed, Master Mechanic. So Master yeah. Mechanic was that I built a car from scratch over 12 weeks in real time. It was a genuine 12 weeks, just press record, see what happens. And it was really lovely. It did really well for the network. And uh, Discovery and Motor Trend said, hey, what does season two Master Mechanic look like? This has got legs. And at the time, I was recognizing that um, a lot of OEMs were actually building heritage cars. They were looking back yeah. at their heritage. You know, Jaguar are making C-types, D-types, and Bentley are making blowers, and Aston are making DB5s, etc. So there's obviously something in it. There's a value in heritage. And uh, Lotus, a 73-year-old British company now, weren't looking at their heritage. And I have a great relationship with Lotus anyway, and I sort of contacted them one day and said, hey, are you guys going to build a heritage car? No, well, you know, the future's electric. Um, we're a halo brand for Geely and Volvo. So yeah. we're really excited. We've got the Avaya and et cetera. And I said, well, would you, um, would you watch Master Mechanic and potentially let me build a heritage car as a season two? And I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll talk about Lotus because the history is fantastic. And they're like, okay. And I didn't expect them to say yes, <laughs> but they did. So I started to um, put together this, this idea of doing a second season and building a car. So um, as part of the design process, there's a Brit here, Mark Stubbs, the designer, lives in Laguna as well, literally up the road. So I sort of met up with Mark and said, wow, you know, Lotus have said yes to this deal. It's super secret, <laughs> but would you, would you, you know, I'm going to need a hand designing it. I'm a good yeah. builder, not necessarily a good car designer, but would you, um, would you step in? And he's like, yeah, are you kidding me? I get to design a Lotus. I'll do it. <laughs> And Mark and I were, you know, spending loads of time together designing this car. And it's interesting looking at that early design to the car we have now. Completely different cars, by the way. And we're designing the car. And Mark had his laptop open one day. And on his laptop, he had this vintage Mini, but totally modified. And the Radford branding. And I kind of looked at him and was like, oh, are you working for Radford? Like, I know who Radford is. And Radford coming back. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I, I acquired Radford many, many years ago. I've been working on it and I've been protecting the IP and I've been, yeah. um, you know, registering trademarks and I've been pulling together all the history because he wants to launch a mini. And I'm like, no, I can't, you can't own Radford. That's amazing. And I went to bed that night. I woke up in the morning. I was like, no, the Lotus isn't season two master mechanic. The Lotus is season one Radford. So I grabbed the lawyer, Roger, and said, Roger, this is, Roger's like, never heard of Radford. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> American lawyer doesn't know. It. I said, no, this is a, this is a big thing. We need to do this. We need to, we need to launch Radford and build the first car being a Lotus. Yeah. And we were missing one piece of the puzzle and it kind of dawned on me. And I was friends with Jensen and we were hanging out anyway. And I sort of said to Jensen, you know, what's going on in your career? And what are you thinking now? You know, racing's kind of paring down and he was doing some other stuff. And then I sort of just one afternoon said, right, I've got this plan. Let's relaunch Radford, do a Radford Lotus as the first car and then go on and do other cars. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was all in and, you know, in this very, very short space of time, it was actually only, I mean, not even, I mean, we started the design of the car probably 18 months ago, but it becoming Radford was probably only 12 months ago. I was, uh, I was, uh, I went for a, a, a really sad divorce and I'd moved out to this tiny little rental apartment, tiny, like three rooms mm. called the yellow. And I call it the yellow house because it was yellow. And um, Mark, Izzy, who's the Radford marketing manager now, my friend Dan 
and I sat down in the yellow house with a whiteboard and we wrote out what does Radford look like and we planned this kind of this business model for Radford and that was only 12 months ago and within 12 months we are on the lawn at Monterey at the quail yeah. with our car which has uh, been phenomenally well received we've pretty much sold all of them and we've uh, already signed with other OEMs there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Nice. I know, right? Nice. Talk about living the dream. Are you kidding me? But it's about timing. You know, this, it would have been possible five years ago, probably not possible in five years' time, but there's something at the moment. There's something, you know, the world has come full circle. Heritage is back. Coach building is back. Shared platforms is back. And um, what are the chances of Jensen, Mark, Roger, me? Being here at this time, being available, yeah. and each bringing our own skill set that um, on our own we it wouldn't work, but as a as a dream team, it, it works nicely. Yeah, it's a, like you said about this sort of moment in time. Obviously, all of you guys coming together and managing to put the project together and all of that. But like, I really feel like we are in this weird stage where there's a lot of people looking at the modern stuff you can buy right now and just going not that interested anymore. Whereas five years ago, they were lapping it up, like new GT3 RS, new Lamborghini this, new Ferrari that. And it's a lot less so now, and people are starting to look back. But I think more people are starting to look back at these older cars, or we've got you know things like Singer and Eagle and all of these companies making a new-ish version of an, an older car. But... All of those have been done on an old... They've taken an old car, let's say the Singer, they've taken a 964... Yeah, it's a resto mod. And resto modded it. Whereas yeah. you're, doing some, you're doing something completely different. Like, it might look from the outside like a similar concept, but you're taking a new car and coach building it. Yeah, it's actually way more advanced than that. I mean, when we started working with Lotus, and Lotus is such a great engineering partner, they, I mean, they have decades and decades of experience building race-style handling cars, you know, awesome mm. bits of machinery. But, you know, we started off with the Exige platform. We actually made the car longer, wider, new wishbones, new suspension, new uprights, new hubs, new steering, uh, new ECU, new cooling. The induction's completely different. You know, it's we've gone, we started with an Exige thinking, let's do a coach-built Exige, yeah. and ended up building something completely different. <laughs> and, um, you know, you're right, it's not a restored car. It's a brand new, fully engineered vehicle. 
you know, working with a partner like Lotus is really, really important for that, for us, because, you know, they bring so much to the table. Um, and as the car evolved over the, over the months, it's interesting how far away from the Exige we went. I mean, our car is 100% carbon. Every single Radford panel is carbon fiber. Yeah. And that's cool, right? Because you know, cool. the coach building industry has changed. We've, we've made use of all this modern technology and lightweight materials. And Colin Chapman's ethos is to add lightness. So we've managed to do that. And how working with a company like Lotus, how does this all fit in in terms of like regulations of building a car? Because presumably you're not doing the modern car, crash testing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How does that all work? No, in the, in the state of California, which is where we're based and registered, um, there is an opportunity to build a low-volume vehicle under a different legislation. Right. So uh, our 62 cars, because we're only making 62, are road legal here. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have, for example, a customer that's outside of California, let's say a, you, you want to buy yeah. a car, um, and so you bought it in California, you shipped it to the UK, it would go through an an IVA test, an individual vehicle approval. So the car would have to be individually registered, which is something we we, we cater for in the UK. Yeah. Um, so that it gets tested by the ministry. Um, you provide, or we will provide a, a number of extensive build documents, um, just like a, a catering. And so, and would that car, when it comes across, be like a an exige in in brackets because that was the chassis underneath with the chassis number, or is it it's a Radford? Uh, it's a Radford. And like when you decided let's make a car, what was what were you looking for? Like what did you set out to make? What were the when sort we, of parameters? Uh, well, it was weird because at first I didn't think Lotus would say yes. But when they did say yes, and you know, Jensen then became involved, that so you know, we had at the Lotus disposal we had a number of uh, drivetrain options, Evora, mm. Elise, Exige. And it was actually Jensen that, that, that chose the, the Exige. And, you know, he'll get to be able to share that on the TV show we're making. But, of course, it meant that we were tied to the engineering of the Exige. We had to be inspired by Lotus that had the engine behind the driver. So that discounted yeah. elite Elan front-engine drive cars. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we were thinking, you know, we did look, consider let's just make a continuation car. Let's just make it look like in the same way Aston make a DB5 or Jaguar make a C-Type. So we went through all of that design process and all of that kind of mulling over of ideas. And we we, we arrived at the point that we needed to choose a car that the engine was behind the driver for a start. But then what would Colin Chapman do? And what would Harold Radford do, the founder of Radford, Mm. if they were alive today? And Colin Chapman would, would build a new car. So because we're leaning into our heritage, we did, we looked at, engine behind the driver inspired lotus of the past and the obvious choice is probably a spree cool car bond car submarine car basic instinct you know it's got pretty woman it's got this really kind of cult following um but actually for a number of reasons which we'll share on the tv show we ended up at europa one of the cool things is a lot of people don't realize that radford pitched to ford for the ford gt40 and there's okay. this really cool, if you go on Google and Google Ron Hickman Europa, it's the hand-drawn drawing by a guy called Ron Hickman. He was the guy who also invented the Black & Decker Workmate, super talented. And he drew, he drew the Europa car as a concept to pitch to Ford for the Le Mans winning GT40, but Ford decided not right. to go with Lotus. They yeah. gave the job to Radford. 
So the original GT40 was a Lola chassis, Radford body, Ford engine. And that went on, obviously, to become an iconic Le Mans car. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That so, cool. <laughs> so when we started to lean into our heritage, what would Ford do? What would uh, Lotus do? What would Chapman do? What would Harold do? What are we going to do now? We looked mm. at our heritage. And actually, if you look at our car now, there is a very GT40 element. The door scoops are a really good example. So we started to go down the Europa exercise. And we rested on Europa. And then we realized that, we, that, that Lotus built just two Type 62 Europas. They were basically race-going Europas in 1969. So they were oh, very Europa-esque, but they had a very big race influence. They were very Lotus. Mm. They looked very Lola. They looked very sort of LMP, Le Mans-style car of the period. They looked like a sexier Europa. So yeah. we started to um, we started to do a design uh, peek at the design DNA of the Type 62, and we chose it. And weirdly, and we're talking a couple of months later, we were like, right, we need to go and find the, you know, the two original cars. One's in Japan, yeah. and the other one was literally 30 minutes from Jensen's house in L.A. No way. Yeah, not only did we find the original car, car number one, but we also um, – found the original designer martin wade he was head of lotus design for a decade he's also in la designing helicopters <laughs> so um so uh yeah it was it's interesting how it all kind of came together so when you look at the original 62 against our modern version you can see the mm. design lineage the dna's there yeah yeah definitely and it, it looks like it's a i'm looking at, at your your design of car and it uh, it's cool it's a cool looking thing. It is a cool how, looking thing. How big is it? It's actually, it's about the size of a GT40. How does that equate to like... Oh, how does that like equate a, to what, like a Mondeo? Like a, mod, a modern something. Is it like the size of a Boxster? Is it the size uh, of a 911? I, I would say it's slightly longer than a Boxster, but not as high. Right. It's a very low car, hence why it's called a GT40. Yeah, it's yeah. not as low as a GT40. So, I mean, it's bigger than Exige probably a little bit bigger than an Avora. Yeah. Okay. And then you've got this car, you found out, okay, it's going to look like this old racing car ish ethos. And then you're like, what's it going to drive? Like what's obviously you've got a choice of powertrains, but like, what are you looking for? What's that car going to drive? Like, well, the good thing about being a coach builder is that every customer can choose what they want. So we have multiple engine options, gearbox options, drivetrain options, power options. You know, we can go from 430 to almost 650 brake horsepower. That's okay. quite a big range for a car that's so light. You know, we have different uh, aero, front splitter, rear splitter. The, uh, the options are pretty much endless. And, you know, we've, we've taken multiple orders, substantially sold most of the 62. And... Um, you know, we found that each customer is very unique. Each one's very different. Um, but that is the art of coach building. That is something that Radford has set out to do. We've set out to be very, very bespoke. Each car will be different, even to the point where we will. We have a, a lady called Farouz who works in-house at Radford who will design unique paint for that customer. And that's mm -hmm. that. It's their paint. It'll never be on another car. When you've got a Formula One world champion as the driver and former and arguably the most successful oem when it comes to racing because lotus is the only oem that have won everything including the olympics because uh, they made bicycles um <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 
uh, you've got, you know, when you partner that kind of engineering clout with, uh, with, with somebody like Jensen, you're going to end up with a really, really brilliantly driving car. And it's interesting. We went, cause we have a racetrack in Phoenix, the Radford racing school, uh, nice. which I recommend everybody checks out. And if you're ever in Phoenix, please go and have a go. Um, but when you, you know, I remember that filming day that we were there with the car and Jensen was just doing lap after lap after lap in Radford. It was just astonishing. And he just kept getting quicker and quicker and quicker. And, he, you know, it was fiend Arizona temperatures. And it, I mean, the car was just epic. It was everything I dreamed of and more. Nice. Yeah, nice. right. So it's, so it's aimed at, well, you're saying it can be anything, but presumably it's moderately driver focused, can be softer, can be stiffer, et cetera, et cetera. But it's aimed at delivering something back to the driver at all speeds rather than just smashing 200 miles an hour. Yeah, it's a um, yeah, it's not a supercar in the, the 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 lost sense of the phrase supercar. In fact, there's not really any current supercars. They're all too bulky and porky and they carry mm. ex- excess and luxury that shouldn't really be in a supercar. It's the very essence of Lotus. It's no, there's no excess weight. There's no vanity pieces. It's, you know, it's a pure race car, um, but it is very usable. You know, it, it will drive like a proper, you know, very similar, I guess, to an Exige. Um, yeah. I think it's very different as well. You know, it's a different handling experience. It's very longer. It's a lot wider. Power range is amazing. But the most important thing is it's incredibly light. And its lightness is what I think is its biggest strength. Because, you know, that's one thing that Chapman did incredibly well. At a period where all the competitors were throwing more power in, he was yeah. actually reducing power, taking weight off and being more successful. And we know how history told us. Lightness helps. Yeah. Aero helps. Yeah. It's uh, So in terms of... Well, what what weight? What are this? Presumably, I'm going to hold off on weight because we're actually weighing the car officially. I know what it is hypothetically, but we're weighing the car tomorrow morning. <laughs> okay, okay, but okay, get you can give me a, a hundred kilo window if you want. It's sub a thousand. Sub a thousand. Ooh, I know, right? Ooh, that is that dry is weight. very appealing. Dry weight. Dry weight. Okay, so it'll be maybe a hundred kilos heavier than that or something. Wet ish. Yeah, but we that's that's car. very light. Oh my god, it's the lightest car available. I mean, I, I at the moment I don't know any other cars of this ilk that are as light. What's the Alpine A1 Alpina A110? I don't know. Eleven fifty, I guess. So yeah, okay, well, let's uh, let's weigh it tomorrow and let's see how we compare to the eleven fifty. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested, and and then power. You're saying it can it can go all the way up to six yeah. six something, almost six fifty. Yeah, that that experience because even I, I like driving an Exige is pretty awesome. They're they're, pre, they're like quite intense experience and most people would get in an exige and it, it might have 400 horsepower and they go oh but this mclaren's got 700 horsepower or this ferrari's got 800 horsepower or whatever but weighs 400 kilos more not the mclaren but the ferrari might and the numbers just the horsepower numbers become meaningless but it's it's interesting and i i rate it that you've gone you know what the thing we're chasing is lightweight obviously lotus so it's going to be lightweight and 
no, it's not going to have a, a a horsepower number that's like obscene, but the driving experience will be much better because it's lighter and those numbers will mean a lot more. Um, I think that's a a time, we're in a time now where people will accept that and, and will chase it as well. Go. Yeah, I think, the thing is that I'm kind of over this kind of race to be super fast. Nobody really wants that, yeah. let's be honest. You know, I think if you actually, you know, press people on it, they're probably more interested in the, the, that kind of naught to 30, naught to 60, because that's the practicalities of owning a car like this on today's environment. Yeah. You know, does anyone really want a 200 mile an hour car? Really? Okay, <clears throat> we've got the weight. We've got some power figures. We're going to get a price. We've got a price. Yeah. So our entry level is a shade over four hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Um, and that gets you a very, very comprehensive car. Um, incredibly comprehensive. You know, you, it's not, we're not one of these companies that you need to go and spend a load of extras. That's a proper car, ready to go. Uh, all carbon. I mean, very similar to the car we've displayed at Monterey. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the world you're oyster, you can go crazy. We have customers that are completely redoing the rear clamshell. Totally okay, new yeah. set of tooling. Um, we have customers that are doing different engine options, different interiors. So, uh, yeah, it, you could go crazy. But, um, yeah, most people are, uh, are operating the sort of 50 grand on top of that. Yeah, it's really interesting to sit here that you're, you are doing the coach building thing of you can have different panels if you want. Okay. Radford is a coach builder. And that is like, I'm looking forward to seeing all these cars when they come out. When are we going to f- see the first customer cars? Uh, I believe the first orders are Q1 of 22. I, okay. I've seen a m- number of chassis <laughs> arrive and we have a big yeah. facility here in California. So, um, yeah, I believe Q1 22 will be the first cars rolling out. And then actually, we, we, we really geared up professionally for production. So we will be effectively, I think, producing a car every three weeks. Nice. Nice. Yes, it's a then, setup. So we're going to have these, these Lotuses rolling out. And then, I, I hate to be that person, but like, what, what's getting lined up? You, you right. said other manufacturers. We have, we have signed with for the second car it is a huge oem it's going to be when the industry finds out what we're doing it's going to be it's going to raise some eyebrows um yeah. i can't tell you which oem it is i the uh, what i will say is it's not a sports car oh oh interesting <laughs> interesting got my mind thinking of well looking at radford historically I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to throw some stuff out and you can, you can ignore everything I've said. There's a lot of estate cars that were never made that Radford made. I would love to see a, a, some estates that don't exist that could be made by Radford. Uh, there that is a, a cool shooting thing. break in the works. I'm, I won't say nice. any more than that, but uh, nice. the second car is not a shooting break. Yeah. And it's not a mini. That is, um, that's cool. And then like, are there, because I'm trying to think of other companies that work even directly with OEMs is very, very small number because everyone's like, nah. Yeah, getting, um, you know, you have to remember most OEMs are these kind of big, bulky corporate entities that, you know, getting a decision mm. made is 55 million board meetings and sign-offs. And actually, that's why working with somebody like Lotus is really cool because they're actually still small enough and nimble enough to be able to react and make quick decisions. So actually working with Lotus across the first project has been a privilege because they're so versatile and you know when we name the 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 next oem 
you know, you'll quite rightly think, oh, that's a big company. How the hell yeah. are you going to get through the design process with those guys? But actually, you know, they're in it because they want to be in it. We are a low volume yeah. manufacturer. We are one of our strengths is that we are super small and nimble. And actually, I think maybe big corporate companies are jealous of that. <laughs> so, yeah. and, if you, be- and if you're making, if you're making this number of cars, let's, I'm, you know, let's, you're making 62 of these, you're not going to turn around and make 5,000 tomorrow of something else. Then no. you're not necessarily it's taking more than much 62, away. Though. It's more than 62. Okay. Because yeah. start looking for number associations with various brands. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I think, uh, well, I think it's a very cool thing. Are we going to, is there going to be a car in the UK at some point? Yes. Obviously a customer car, but as in like, is your car going to come over here at some point? Uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> we are taking, both our cars are going to Good River. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, so I normally wrap these up with five questions. So we can, uh, let's try and quick fire through them. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Yes, I drove a car I built from scratch on the ferry from Hook of Holland. Sorry, from England to Hook of Holland and then drove it to Copenhagen to deliver it to a customer. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, what would it be? Series one Land Rover. Nice, nice. Yeah, that would do most stuff. Most undervalued car at the moment. See, I naturally want to say NSX, but they're actually really expensive. Um, yeah, all of these cars like that have all gone up. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge lover of the NSX, but again, they're expensive. So, are they undervalued? Um, probably the MX-5. Fair enough. Brilliant. I have never ever had a bad driving experience in an MX-5. It's the perfect roadster. Yeah, so and good. you can pick so them up good. for a few grand. Exactly. Right. Most interesting car to you at the moment? Uh, well, it's interesting because I've been going for a design. I've lived and breathed Lotus Radford for the last 18 months. Yeah. And I've already started the design process on the second car. So what okay. happens, my, my process is it consumes me. So, yeah. And it's such an icon that I can't help but be excited invested about that. And into- yeah so unfortunately well, can't I can't tell you what, what it is, is. <laughs> but it That's is okay. when you find out you're you're gonna go what how did you get that deal well I, i'm looking forward to hearing about that one final question five car garage unlimited value mclaren f1 mm-hmm. gtr or road car yeah i'll take a road car series yeah. one land rover austin seven single seater special Ooh. Bentley blower. Nice. And then I'd need something practical. Nah. Um, <laughs> mini. Original. Oh, nice. Nice. And then cool. I'd squeeze a Radford Lotus Type 62 too. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It was no, good thank to, you so much for having me. It's such, a, it's such a pleasure. And, uh, I will be at Revival. So if you're there, I'll see you there. I will I will try and I'm gonna try and be there. So I'll I will come and poke you. <laughs> Jensen and me are both going to do some filming and uh, Jensen's racing and I'm potentially racing in the TT. Nice, nice. That'll be fun. Thanks, buddy. Right. Thanks very much.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.